0: Three, two, one. Welcome to Book Talk. Sorry, Sorry, that was my pen. (laughs) Okay, go. (laughs) Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc., and I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. Today, we are talking about books outside of our comfort zone. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review
1: our latest read, and have book talk about why we think it's important to read outside of our comfort zones. We'll wrap things up with our shelf edition. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. It truly helps us connect with other book lovers. Hey, Tina.
0: Hi, Renee. How
1: are you? Um, I am good. And I was thinking about what I was going to say to you today, and I have to get this out of the way.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: I am not enjoying the cold weather. I know we said we're not going to talk about weather, <laughs> but I was so I've been so cold today. Mm-hmm. And it has occurred to me that we don't have warm weather anymore and I don't like I it. Know.
0: OK, it's that's o- it. It's officially turned the corner. And if you could see Renee right now, she has a turtleneck <laughs> on and an, a cardigan over it. So I, she's not kidding. <laughs> I am not
1: kidding. It is
0: today and it's probably Mm -hmm. 50-some, low 50s, Mm -hmm. and I feel like it's 20 degrees out. And you're right. The worst part is like, okay, it just started. I know. This is it. It's not going to get to my 80s or to your 80s anymore. No. I like cold weather. Uh, I am ai prefer summer, but I don't mind cooler weather. I love the fall weather. It's perfect. I also am not an outdoor cat. I like to be inside <laughs> reading. So if it's nice and like kind of cool outside, I'm like, great. I don't have to like pretend to want to go outside.
1: <laughs> oh, I wish. I, I do like to be out and I have, you know, a dog that yeah. prefers to walk in the winter. Versus, right because oh, yeah his energy got a lot level mm-hmm. yeah his energy level goes way up when the weather gets colder.
0: Oh really? So we actually well, have to do That makes sense I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually have to do longer walks.
0: Oh. <laughs> Vinny, that's not I like know, agenda.
1: I know. And I'm yeah, I'm just It's okay. And there's some sort of lag in the fall. I mean not in the fall. In the I mean at least in the Midwest, the leaves aren't changing. So at least mm-hmm. we usually had like all these Great fall colors and they're either still green,
0: right, or they're gone. Or they're gone. What has it's happened? something weird. It has I've noticed that too. I have one tree across the street from my house that's like beautiful and red. And every day I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so nice. But it just started changing this week. And I know next week it's gonna be gone. Like it's gonna be brown yeah. or gone. So
1: Okay. Well, there's our weather. Update. <laughs> Sorry, we're, you probably will get more of that as the uh-huh. winter go, as the winter goes on.
0: But it's a it's a Midwest rule. We have to talk about the weather. We have to talk about our crockpot meals. We've got <gasps> to talk about what you got. A good one.
1: Well, I I just brought that out yesterday for the it's first a, time in almost I know. a year. It's
0: a Midwest rule. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Oh, that's so funny. How are you? What what's oh, new? Well, nothing. I am settling into, I I started teaching uh, adjunct classes. So I do that on Mondays and then I have my full-time job and I do the podcast. But now I feel like I'm settling into a rhythm. Like it doesn't feel, at first it was like drinking from a fire hose and I'm Mm -hmm. like, how am I ever going to catch up? But now I'm like, wow, the class is halfway over. So I feel, and it's my favorite time of year. This is my birthday week when we're recording. We're stepping into some of the holiday season. Mm-hmm. I have some days off coming up. I'm itching to clean and reorganize my house, specifically my bookcases. So i I know that would be We're, fun. We'll see. We'll see. I know it'll be. I'm really it, like I want to catalog it and use that app that you always talk about. What's it called? Book my Buddy. Lo- book Buddy. Mm-hmm. Not always. It's not like you always talk about it. Well, <laughs> no. I love my. I love my Book
1: Buddy. I use it every. <laughs> Yeah.
0: I want to get better about that, but yeah, it's just, this this is my favorite time of year. Are you, um, I mean, we can talk about
1: this later, but I'm trying not to let the news like play into my stresses as far as, Oh, you got to order all your Christmas stuff. Now you got to do this. You got to do that. And I just don't, I don't want to stress about shipping and blah, blah, blah. And all of that. So I'm trying to just avoid that. And then I mm-hmm. just told my kids, well, they're older, so it's, it doesn't really matter. Of course, one of my sons wants an electronic and oh. I, it, it's not, a, it's just not even out there. And I'm just like, e- you might be just waiting. Cause I'm not you, gonna, I'm not going store to store. I'm you're not. not going on
0: black Friday, <laughs> waiting at no. like four in the morning at Best no, Buy. No, <laughs> I'm not
1: doing that. I'm not doing that. So, and you're lucky because Lily, you could, she's happy with whatever at her
0: age right now. She has a, she likes boxes. Like, you know, that's our, mm-hmm. our new toy. We actually do have a ball pit for her that we like busted out the other day because she was really fussy. <gasps> Those are so fun. Mm-hmm. She's all right with it. She's, she's so funny. She doesn't like, lo- she likes toys enough, but she's like very interested in stuff. Like, she wants my phone. She wants whatever <laughs> I'm playing with. You know, like mugs are really big at, the, at mm-hmm. this age. She's also very careful. She'll, like, carry these little ceramic mugs around the house with her. I'm like, okay, go ahead. (laughs) Whatever works. (laughs) Whatever works. Well, what are you loving lately? I have my, okay, my loving lately is a distraction. I was working on my script for today, and I, like, turned on YouTube in the background, and I was like, oh, let me just put on a video Cut to me 40 minutes later, like having watched this entire video. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know what? This is my loving lately. So it is a YouTube channel. And the creator is named Jamie French. And Jamie, I've been following her for years. She started off in the makeup community as a hairstylist and makeup artist. So she's done a ton of like makeup videos and tutorials and whatnot. But her videos that always got the most views were some of her comedy videos. Like, she's a really funny person. And so within the last, I guess, six months, she decided to transition her channel completely into comedy and commentary videos. And so her videos, you guys have actually maybe seen Jamie around Facebook before because she did a viral video on 90s makeup trends that went really huge. Oh, fun. Uh Uh-huh. And she also did a funny video on this tiny hands trend that was really funny. So both of those got millions of views. So you might have seen her. But the video that I specifically got caught up in today, it's through a segment called Movies and Makeup or something, where she basically roasts terrible movies from the 80s and 90s while doing her makeup. and. It's just funny. I like seeing her branch off from what she thought she was supposed to do. She thought she was supposed to be in the makeup community because that's what was popular. And even though she was always really funny and that's what people connected with, the video that I got caught up in today was uh, her talking about a Jessica Simpson movie and basically just making fun of it for 40 minutes. And I would say if you want to see somebody that's funny, that's passionate, a really great Distraction from the normal news, from the normal kind of doom and gloom. She's wonderfully irreverent. I say, give it a try, and I'll of course link to the video I just mentioned in our show notes. But my loving lately is the YouTube channel of Jamie French.
1: Oh, that's a great
0: one. Yeah, she's cute too. She's funny. I like her. Okay,
1: all right. Thanks. I am. I love getting caught up in funny little snippets here and there. Mm -hmm. But again, I need to. I do need to spend a little more time. On YouTube, I want to. I want to get into the makeup and
0: skincare stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she, I mean, still has some, you know, recommendations and older videos for makeup. And I don't know if she does as much skincare, but definitely makeup. Okay. What is your loving lately? My loving
1: lately this week is Laneige Lip Sleeping Mask. Are you kidding? Do not not tell me that you have this.
0: I'm going to go get it from my other room. Oh, (laughs) come on. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Well, again. (laughs) But tell the listeners about it. I
1: cannot believe some of the stuff that we have um, (laughs) that we don't even talk about. We don't even really talk about skincare on the side or anything. but Only on the podcast. This keeps keeps popping up. So I love this. I have the berry flavored. Mm -hmm. And it's a leave on lip mask. That delivers intense moisture and antioxidants while you sleep. So I do get mine at Sephora. Mm -hmm. And it's really good for fine lines, wrinkles, dryness, and dullness. It's got vitamin C, our favorite hyaluronic acid. It is very, very thick and moisturizing. Mm -hmm. I can honestly say I never, ever wake up anymore with dry lips. And I really... In the winter, especially, I'll put Vaseline on first and then put that Ooh. on. And that's even, it. just, it's even better. But this is really, you don't need to do that. I don't know. I feel like I've just gotten in that routine now. It's super hydrating. I think it's about a, just a $20 price point. It's not, not too much, and it la- but it will last forever because you mm-hmm. don't need to use a lot at all. And you could put it a little bit above your lips, a little bit below. It does it does seem to do something. I don't know, preventative for fine lines and mm-hmm. I don't I'm or maybe I'm that's wishful thinking. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um that is the Linage lip sleeping
0: mask. I can't believe it. I have this. I have the berry flavor. Of course you do. I know. Mm -hmm. It's the pink pot as well. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like to, I I like not even overnight, I'll like put it on like before I jump out the door um, while I'm going to school or whatever. And it's like turns your lips a nice color. It's got like a nice pigment to it too. Oh, okay. I I have tried it in the daytime. Yeah. It's super subtle, but yeah, I just use it as like my regular lip gloss. Okay. Good, good, fine. Good, good recommendation. Okay, great. Well, we are ready to talk about
1: our latest reads. I have no idea what you've been reading.
0: This one, yeah. So I had to really, okay, our, our topic today is books out of our comfort zone. And one of the things, and we'll get into this, but one of the things I noticed was for books that are out of my comfort zone, it takes me longer to read them that I think a book that's well within my wheelhouse does for whatever reason. So I really had to like think about, oh my gosh, do I have a latest read? But I do. And I've talked about this one before. It was a shelf edition at one point. It is Don't Sit on My Bed with Your Outside Clothes by Phoebe Robinson. So earlier, I recommended Jamie French. And speaking of comedy, Phoebe Robinson is a gem. She is a comedian, a boss, and bestselling author. And she's known as the co-creator and co-star of the hit podcast-turned-TV show, Two Dope Queens. So Don't Sit on My Bed with Your Outside Clothes is her third book, and it's the first from her new imprint with Penguin Random House Books, Tiny Reparations Books. I don't have a ton to say about this other than I really enjoyed it. These are essays, and I thought they were the perfect balance of smart but funny and really relatable, and at at times I was equally entertained and educated. She got real about quarantining during the pandemic with her long-distance boyfriend, about being a boss and being a female boss and, you know, being a woman of color who's in charge of her own company. She talked about her love for the Obamas and her grandparents' general distaste for doing anything that involves leaving their home. (laughs) I listened to this, and I do really think that's the way to go about this one. You get her humor and tone that way, and I don't know how well it would translate to print. She's just funny, and my God, the way... It sounds like you're... The book reads like you're watching a stand-up, skit or a stand up show. So Mm -hmm. it just was super great. If you're looking for something that will entertain you and uplift you, I say, give this a go. This is don't sit on my bed with your outside clothes by Phoebe Robinson.
1: Okay. That sounds really good. And also if it, if it's essays, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could just listen to one or two and then come Mm -hmm. back later, right?
0: Exactly. And that's Mm -hmm. how I did this one. I feel like I'd listened to it for a long time, but it's, I would dive in, listen to an an essay or two and then come back out. So, but it was really good. Okay, good. All right. Well,
1: my latest read does fall into slightly out of my comfort zone only because of the topic. Okay. But it was one I think that one one of us brought to one of our books on the radars or or whatever. It's The Guide by Peter Heller. Oh yeah, mhm. Okay. So I did read The River, which I liked, didn't love, and this one is a slight sequel to the river, and I say slight because it can definitely be read as a standalone, but there is a particular spoiler involved in this story. So if you have an interest in these, you know, these types of books, these nature kind of literary thrillers, maybe start with the river just just so that you don't get spoiled by this one, but you don't have to. So this is a heart racing thriller about a young man who escaping his own grief is hired by an elite fishing lodge in Colorado, where amid the natural beauty of sun drenched streams and forests, he uncovers a plot of shocking menace. So the setting of this is a lodge. You have a lot of fly fishing. (laughs) FYI. And that's why I would that's why I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna try this one for out of my comfort zone as my latest read because I did really enjoy Jack and I liked him from the first book. And I'm I'm okay. I'm fascinated by people who enjoy spending a lot of time in the wilderness Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. fishing. And my dad likes to fish. I don't understand the patience that's involved in fishing, but I did like the sound of a short literary thriller. This is really pretty short. This is a day or two at the most read, but what ends up happening is Jack is trying to grapple with his own issues. He is assigned to be a guide for a very famous singer. You're not quite sure why she's there or is is this really for fly fishing? Is there other reasons that she might be there? And then there are other things happening on the property that he slowly discovers as far as cameras, as far as barbed wire fencing, it all ends up adding up to very strange occurrences. Mm -hmm. And I love that You know, they sleep in cabins. So there's always when there's nighttime noises and it just it felt very creepy. Yet the way he writes is also very, very literary. If you like nice, descriptive, not flowery, but pretty sentences about nature and Mm -hmm. fishing, especially, then this could be for you. I do think I, I kept picturing that this book would be a great fit for a cold fall, winter night in front of a fire. Mm -hmm. I think it would be a really great fit for that. Or if you just really enjoy wilderness stories, I did find it to be very light on the thriller aspect. (laughs) Okay, Very light. I didn't find it menacing at all. Um, And there was a couple places after about the 60% mark where it seemed like he tried to veer off into straight thriller territory and it just didn't feel right. And yeah, there was one particularly gruesome scene involving an older child slash young teenager that I found extremely gruesome and unnecessary. So FYI, if that is something that... Well, I mean, it bothered me, but Mm -hmm. I tend to read darker stories, but I just, it it wasn't even necessary to the plot. So I'm not sure why that was included. That's really all I have to say about it. I ended up liking the river better. So if I'm just going to compare the two and that was the guide by Peter Heller.
0: Good. I'm glad you read that for me. That was one that I think I brought as a shelf edition or maybe a book on the radar. I knew one of us had. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you not to say that I won't read it, but I'm like, okay, I feel like I've, you know, could maybe push it down a little bit on my list. Okay. Which is
1: okay. I I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to talk you out of that. Okay. I like that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Appreciate it. All right. Let's get into book talk today. So like we said, we're talking about books that are outside of our comfort zone. I think our reading, we've really, with the podcast, had to, we've really uncovered a lot about ourselves, about Mm -hmm. our tastes, about how fast we can read, about being a mood reader. And so we thought it would be fun to try and challenge ourselves with books that maybe are outside of our comfort zone, that aren't our mystery and thriller genre. Right. And I did
1: want to ask you that question. Mm -hmm. Is that your comfort zone? mystery and
0: thriller. Mine is mystery thriller. It is literary fiction, memoir, some nonfiction issues, books I really like. Okay. I'm trying to think. I think that about rounds out my things that are just like my catnip. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. my I'm most comfortable in the mystery thriller genre. I mean, if I have an afternoon ahead of me, then I'm going to probably look for one of those. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I do expand. I mean, there are yeah. and and that shows in a lot of my all-time favorites as far as, you know, what we've talked about a million times, I have at least A Little Life, The Hearts of mm-hmm. Invisible Furies. Those are not mystery and thrillers. Mm-hmm. So I do go outside of it, but I feel most comfortable in that mystery thriller psychological suspense genre. Mm-hmm. And it was fun, yet very challenging for yeah. me to decide what books I really wanted to try for this episode, especially. Mm-hmm. Because I want to like them. I don't want to just try something and then and bring it here and say like, well, I tried it, but I didn't like it.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's always our goal is to find books that we can at least have a thoughtful conversation about, even if right. it wasn't like a favorite of all time, like we we want to bring books that you all might like to hear about. So mm-hmm. I think I agree. It was a little bit challenging to find titles that fit the bill for this one. I have a question for you. Do you think that your reading changed when you joined Bookstagram? Both Renee and I got on Bookstagram in about 2016. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, do you think your reading palette changed when you did?
1: Yes, and I know that for a fact because when I go back through my Goodreads, if I go all the way back to when I started using Goodreads, which I don't even—I, it may have been like two thousand nine
0: or so. Me too. Of course. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. (laughs) I look at the books that I was reading, and I swear I've done this recently too. I was like, "Oh my gosh, you're reading the same thing." Yeah. You. I mean. And now, and then yes, once I started my blog, which was in 2016, Mm -hmm. I I started that before I got on Instagram and the blogging world and the closeness of and meeting people around the country and in other countries who told me, Oh, if you like this, you should read this. And Mm -hmm. if you and it it just opened up worlds of reading. And I see a huge difference in what I'm taking chances on and what I'm reading and loving. Since 2016, for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Same with me. I was looking at my, I have a little notebook where I used to write down every book that I've read. I still add to it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I used to love series. I would read the same book over and over again, like with slight differences. I read a lot of indie books for some reason. I don't know where I got them from or what compelled (laughs) me to do that. Not that that was a bad thing. I just Mm -hmm. find my reading has shifted since, you know, then in 2016, you can kind of start to see, oh, yeah, here comes some of the maybe more buzzy titles, but also different genres Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. I started to I used to read a ton of like which I hate this title but chick lit or like women's fiction Mm -hmm. I read a bunch of that which I still enjoy wish it was called something different but that's neither here nor there I find now I don't think I read a literary book until I joined bookstagram I don't even know what I would you know I didn't even know what it was I wouldn't be able to tell you what a literary book was until I probably started looking so I always say to anybody that does want to expand their comfort zone and maybe wants to broaden their palette first things first, take a look at what you've been reading, whether it's through Goodreads, whether it's a notebook, a spreadsheet, all of the above. Write down the books that you've been reading if you're not doing that already, because I bet you are going to find out things about your reading that you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
1: That's exactly right. And Bookstagram is a great place to follow a hashtag Mm -hmm. um, or just look up a hashtag. And if you're new to Bookstagram and find people that way. Who may be reading differently than you, and and then they have some great book wrecks. So, what do you think? Because I was thinking about this too. Not only has my reading preferences and my desire and openness to try new books and try different types of stories expanded in the last five years, but even thinking about what I could choose for. Today, I found myself going back to some books that I had dismissed previously. Mm -hmm. And then really thinking about why did I dismiss them? And now that I have read them, what were my misconceptions? Mm -hmm. And I know that. And that's taught me a lot about what I want to remember about myself moving forward. That makes
0: perfect sense. And I like that you brought up the idea of misconceptions, because I think these are kind of almost our own biases that everybody has biases. And I think these are things like, oh, I don't like historical fiction Mm -hmm. or what, for whatever reason, they may be founded. But I guess in this exercise of really, really looking at what I tend to gravitate toward, it did make me want to think, okay. do you really not like historical fiction? Do you really think it's boring? Or do you just not, have you not read a bunch of books in that area? Maybe you don't know the genre. You don't know all that it can bring. I think now I've just been doing it long enough to where I'm like, okay, I know not to like fully dismiss a genre outright. I'll try not anything, but I'll try. I have a pretty wide berth. I think at this point, I would say genres that are typically outside of my comfort zone would be fantasy, romance, romance. Science fiction, to a certain extent, and books in translation, those are ones where I'm like, ooh, if I see a fantasy title, it just doesn't jump out at me. at something like, I almost think like, yeah, that's not for me, which mm-hmm. I might be mm-hmm. like cutting myself off from this entire massive genre that I would otherwise love. But because I think, yeah, I won't like that, I'm not letting myself experience it. Right. And you know what? When we planned
1: our content Which Mm -hmm. was a while ago, and we put this sort of topic out there. I would have definitely picked fantasy, but then I didn't choose that today because I was like, oh, I have actually read fantasy over the last six weeks. So I didn't even feel that that was necessarily out of my comfort zone right now. Although Mm -hmm. intense world building fantasy Mm -hmm. probably would still be out of my comfort zone, and I would still like to. Tackle one of those. I just didn't for today. I really wanted to to choose other genres and topics for today. So you had put an article out there for us by Anne Morgan, which we will link to, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, she has a lot of information on the benefits of reading books that we wouldn't typically pick up, and also some tips on starting. Like for me. I could still read within the mystery thriller genre, but maybe pick up some books by authors in other countries uh-huh. writing mystery and thriller. I love that
0: tip. Mm-hmm. I love that tip too. And that's what I started to do this year. I've found that I really like Japanese literature. I've found, mm-hmm. I have found three books come to mind that I've read this year that I absolutely loved. And all of them are in well, I, d- I know two of the three are in translation. I'm talking about Confessions, Out, and If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but to your point, it doesn't have to be genre that's out of your comfort zone. It could be country. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's a bad thing to say that something's out of your comfort zone. I think we all have our lane, right, when mm-hmm. it comes to mm-hmm. what we like, what we're used to. But I would say go into reading books that are out of your comfort zone with an open mind. Be curious, and Google is your friend. Mm-hmm. If you find that you don't understand something, look it up. I was finding when I was reading some of these books, I was, not the ones I'm bringing today, but some books that were in translation, I'm like, all right, let me look this up. Like, I don't know much about this, the, the origin of this word. What does this word mean? And I learned some things. And I also talked about The Color Purple a couple episodes back. That was a book I'm not ashamed to say that I had to look it up and get some of the characters and plot points straight. But Once I allowed myself to like get over my pride of like, I can understand this on my own and like use a literary aid, Mm -hmm. I found I really, really love that story. That is
1: spot on for what you're saying. And I'll add to that what she specifically discussed as far as some of the benefits. I really felt with the choices I'm bringing today, and that is expect to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I actually really. I really like to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and challenged in my reading. And Mm -hmm. I just, I really, I guess, rediscovered that with my choices today. I really do like that. And I think that's a huge benefit. And I do think that I have been too quick to dismiss certain books. And I'll tell you specifically when I bring one today, why, but I need to just be aware of that. And also, know that I want to be challenged. Mm -hmm. I want to know and learn about other people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. And she made a really good point that if you're reading a book and it's from a perspective that you just so strongly disagree with Mm -hmm. and you want to throw that book across the room or at the wall, maybe sit with that and allow yourself to still read it because it is a way of, understanding what other, whether you agree or don't agree, it's a way of understanding other perspectives.
0: Absolutely. And I think being uncomfortable is a good thing. That's where growth comes from a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. And you can grow from fiction. It doesn't have to be a, you know, memoir self-help type. Right. You know, we're talking about fiction books, but If you're feeling uncomfortable, if you're feeling challenged, if you're feeling confused, sit with that a little bit and figure like, okay, why is that? What does this mean? Go into the reading experience knowing that, okay, this might take a little bit for me to get into this book. And even at the end of it, if you find that the book is not for you, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I always say, look at a book from the perspective of knowing Okay, this wasn't written for me. So, for example, for me, sometimes with YA, I might not vibe with a book because I'm like, oh, it read too young, but I'm not a young reader. And that's okay. I can still appreciate something for what it is and be glad that it exists and accept, like, hey, this isn't for me, but I'm super glad that it's for someone.
1: Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. Yes. I love all of these points. And I just think that this particular topic, we can revisit. Oh, yeah. Again, again, next year Mm -hmm. in the new year, because there are more books I want to read and uh, that are out of my comfort zone. I want to Mm -hmm. find more. I want to be I want others to recommend more. I want I, I really want to do more of this type of reading in 2022.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. And I would love to hear, you know, we'll definitely put a call out to listeners to have you tell us, like, what are some of the books that you've read that are out of your comfort zone? What did you get from it? I think this is a conversation worth having. I do too. And
1: with that in mind, should we share our out of our comfort zone reads?
0: Sure. Let's do this. I will go first. Okay. All right. First for me is a book called Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin. This is Psychological Horror, which you might be saying, hey, that's in your comfort zone, but hear me (laughs) out. (laughs) It was originally published in Spanish in Argentina in 2014, and it was translated to English in 2017. This book takes inspiration from the environmental problems in Argentina, and I picked this for an out-of-my-comfort-zone book because it is in translation and I hadn't read anything from Argentina before. It is a short book at 183 pages, but it is very impactful. I thought that Fever Dream was a very good title for it because the whole thing kind of has this dreamlike quality. You're not ever really sure where you're at. It opens with Amanda. She's in a clinic in a rural hospital, and she's asking after her daughter. She's trying to figure out what's going on, and there's this young boy, David, that's next to her. She does not know why she's at this clinic. She keeps trying to figure out why she's there, what happened to her, where her daughter is, and David says that he can help, but he is very insistent that he wants her to describe the events that led up to her getting there. He is specifically interested in these worms, and we come to find out that there's a toxin going around this rural town, and people are dying, especially the kids. A doctor has found a very unconventional method to treat these patients, and it seems to work. However, It leaves those that have been treated fundamentally changed. This book is all in conversation. So that was another thing that took me a minute to get used to is like to to be able to follow the plot while it's being told to me in conversation. And like I said in the beginning, I was not sure what was going on, but the author does a great job building up this deep sense of dread. And we find out that David is there because he drank poisonous water. And Amanda begins to fear, oh, no. Maybe we have as well. She is desperate to save her daughter and to prevent her from being poisoned herself and really, really wants to get out of this town, head back to the capital to where she and her family are from. She introduces this idea of the rescue distance that has, like, carved its way into my soul. The <laughs> I, it's true. The idea is that if you keep your kids close within this rescue distance, you're going to be able to save them from whatever harm comes their way. As long as they're in the arm's length, They're going to be okay. We're in it together. We can overcome. But as we know, as parents and as people, this is a lie we tell ourselves to make it feel like we have more control than we do. Mm -hmm. So that really, like, gave me goosebumps. And this was a stark reminder that I don't have as much control over my kid's safety and over the environment as I'd like to, which was actually pretty terrifying. And therein lies the horror in this novel. What was awesome is I did post about this on Instagram, and somebody— Thankfully had mentioned that the author drew inspiration for this book from the use of harmful pesticides in farming towns throughout Argentina. And I found out that Argentina is a major producer of soybeans and it's also one of the world's top producers of genetically engineered crops. And because of this, pesticides have leaked into the water into these farming towns. And so the towns have higher rates of birth defects and they have other health issues due to their water sources being contaminated. And I was kind of just struck by that. And this is why I like reading about other cultures and other countries, because it broadens my worldview. I wouldn't have known about this had Mm -hmm. I not picked this up and, you know, started to have this conversation. If you want to read something that's haunting but not gruesome, something that's in translation or even a short book, give this a shot and let me know what you think, because I haven't heard much else about it. This is Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin.
1: Oh, okay. I'm so glad you brought that. That sounds really interesting. And I learned something, which I always like. Always just from like your, your
0: description. description. I love to learn from reading. Again, I even if it's fiction, I'm like, oh it, it, that's I think part of why at least both of us read. Yes. Yeah. We do like our learning,
1: don't we? <laughs> yes. Okay. What do you have? I have a a memoir that also might seem like it would be in my wheelhouse. However, um, I don't like tell me what to do self self-helpy uh-huh. yes. books. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed this one. It is Wake Up Happy, the Dream Big, Win Big Guide to Transforming Your Life by Michael Strahan.
0: Oh! I also I also don't like football. Michael Strahan. We think my husband looks like <laughs> oh, Michael no, Strahan. I, I gonna, love him. I was
1: gonna give you a clue and say, it is John's. Doppel.
0: (laughs) Doppelganger. Doppelganger. (laughs) I figured you would
1: guess it then. Okay. I just based on that title, this would not even be something I would pick up. Also, I don't want to be told that I need to wake up happy because Mm -hmm. I just told you I'm not, when we started, I'm not a morning person. So don't tell me. (laughs) But here's the reason I picked this up. I really, really enjoy Michael Strahan. I enjoy watching him on GMA. When he wrote this book, which was 2015, he was still on with Kelly Ripa Mm -hmm. on that. So he wasn't even on GMA, but I did watch him on that show. Um, This is short. It's about 200 pages and about five hours or less on audio, depending on your speed. That is the way to go. Mm -hmm. I listen to this. He narrates and he's very engaging. He's very thoughtful. And so once I started listening, I was like, okay, I I'm going to keep an open mind about the fact that I have no interest in football, but I want to hear what he has to say. So he gives some really just thoughtful personal stories about his history growing up on a military base, which I did not, I had no idea. He has always kind of been a happy person and talks about that. But his father led him into football and trying to play college football to for scholarship reasons and all of that. I have a lot of experience tutoring student athlete football players at mm-hmm. a university. And so I do have a lot of respect for college football players and what it takes to get to that next level for mm-hmm. the NFL and their dedication. And so that is why I thought, oh, I am interested to hear what he has to say about it because I just, I don't know that much about it outside of working with the students. And his growing up background, the way he overcame obstacles, and this is what I really like about stories like this. He takes his own Life story, and he's able to spin it in an entertaining way Mm -hmm. that it's not really telling you this is how to be happy. Yeah. But this is how he is able to be happy and to stay motivated. And not that he's saying he felt like that every day, but he shares the way he lives his life and gives that to you as a possibility for mm-hmm. maybe things you can incorporate in yours. And I really like that. So he does share his strategies and he calls them Strayhand's hands rules. And I'll just share one of them with you. Uh, there's, there's several. You can't change other people, but you can change how you act around them. Usually that's more than enough. All of Strayhand's hands rules are probably nothing you haven't already heard in one way, shape or form from other people, but I like his unique spin on what he abides by in mm-hmm. his own life. Mm-hmm. I found, I found it charming. I enjoyed it. There wasn't a single bit of this book I did not enjoy. And that was Wake Up Happy, The Dream Big, Win Big Guide to Transforming Your Life by Michael Strahan.
0: Wow. Oh, I'm so excited you brought this. I now, know. when you started saying the title, I'm like, huh, I thought it was, I thought, have the same reaction and maybe I need to check myself, but I thought it was going to be like a, you know, I'm a happy person and you can be too. And here's Mm -hmm. how in eight easy steps type thing. But I love that when you said his name, I'm like, wait a minute. So it sounds like it's almost a combo memoir slash self-help slash inspirational story. Right.
1: Except, yes, it would be self-help. Only his take on it is here's what works for me. Mm -hmm. And here is how I incorporate it in my life. It wasn't a telling you what to do. What to do. Got it. Sort of, sort of, which I don't enjoy those. Mm -hmm. But based on that title, I thought that's what this was going to be. So it was a misleading title. Although I do think he wakes up happy every day. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it works. But yeah, I think you're right. In my mind, I'm like, huh, okay. It sounds like it's going to be like, you should do this. Try drinking eight ounces of water every day. Or wait, 64 ounces of water (laughs) (laughs) every day. And you too can be happy.
1: I mean, I'm happier after I have my coffee, but (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) all right. What's next for you? Next for me is The Inheritance of Orquidea Divina by Zoraida Cordova. This is a story about a family infused with elements of fantasy and magical realism. That is why I picked it for out of my comfort zone. If I just said those words and you know me as a reader, you're like, yep, probably. Yep. I can see how this is not in your typical (laughs) comfort zone. So this story is pretty epic. It's pretty sweeping. And it's about the Montoya family. It is a family searching for truth. And they're searching in the past of their grandmother. They've inherited this power from her and they're kind of used to their grandmother's quirks, if you want to call them that. They're used to a life without explanations. They know better than to ask why the pantry is never empty, why the grandmother won't leave their home, and they know better than to kind of dig into her personal history. They are all off living their lives, but when Orcidia Divina invites them to her funeral and to collect their inheritance, they hope to learn these secrets that she's been holding so tightly onto for their entire life. When they get to her home, they find that Orquidea is utterly transformed, and they're left with more questions than answered. I liked this beginning set up part of this book a lot. I liked getting to know a bit about Orquidea and her early life in Ecuador through flashbacks and about the cousins themselves. I will say this is the part that's probably the most set in my ways in that it's very much set and part of it takes place in New York, and then they're taking place like it's in today's world, so it made the most sense to me. Then something happens and the story flashes forward seven years later, and we find out that Orquidea's gifts have manifested themselves in different ways for the family, especially the cousins Marimar, Ray, Tatanelli, and her daughter Rhiannon. Someone or something begins to tear through their family tree, picking people off one by one, and it seems like they're trying to destroy Orquidea's family. The cousins are determined to figure out what is going on and to save what's left of them So they traveled to Ecuador to the place where Okivia buried her secrets and broken promises and never looked back. I liked the cover. I liked the premise. I thought it sounded interesting. And I thought it was accessible enough to me because I do love family drama and I wanted to give it a shot. There were a lot of things that I found myself just having to go with. Like, for example, (laughs) Okivia's home appears out of thin air in this small town, like from nowhere. So I kind of was just like, okay, yeah, this is what's true in this world. Overall, I did enjoy the experience, though. I think the storytelling was great, and I loved some of the magical elements. I thought it was fun. I liked that the characters themselves were set in today's world, but with magical elements thrown in, so it was kind of fun to have that as a think piece, like, oh, what if somebody did have this thing? I was never quite sure where the story was going, so I did have to continuously remind myself, don't be frustrated, just enjoy the ride, and let the story unfold. Orkivia herself is a very interesting character, and I really liked uncovering her secrets and finding more about her. She's a super strong woman, and she's actually had five husbands and several children <laughs> and grandchildren. But it was, it was a lot of people to keep track of, but I, I enjoyed her. I spent my energy focusing mostly on those four characters I mentioned in the beginning and their story, and they ended up taking center stage toward the end. I saw this book get compared to Alice Hoffman's Practical Magic series, and Mm. I can see that connection. I can see why people said that. Orkivia tries to tell her family that they are cursed because of her. And of course, you have those family members that believe her, that in fact, yes, they are cursed. And then there's others that are going to try and do their own things out of free will. So that part did remind me of Practical Magic. The writing itself was nonlinear. So there was plenty of times where I kind of lost the plot a little bit. Like, what are we? Where are we at here? Mm -hmm. but I still can appreciate it for what it is. I can tell that it's very well done. While I didn't love it, I liked it. It's an epic story. I loved all of the culture interwoven into it. And I will say I listened to it and thought it was narrated very well, though I might have gotten more out of it if I switched between audio and print, because I just listened to this one solely. I think this is an enchanting novel, and I think it's about what we inherit from our ancestors, about the ties that bind you to your family and to their history, and about really stepping into who you are. Mm-hmm. But this book was The Inheritance of Orquívia Divina by Zoraida Cordova. Okay. And there you well, have it.
1: <laughs> I am with you. I am with you on the magical realism. I probably, mm-hmm. when I hear that, I usually automatically think,
0: nope. I know, it's, I'm just kind of like shutting down, but yeah. Yep.
1: But... You're right. I mean, I do like Alice Hoffman, and mm-hmm. I and she has used that. So right, she, good. I'm it glad you brought that. Okay. Yes.
0: All right. What's next?
1: Next for me is City of Thieves by David Benoit. I don't know this book. Okay. Oh, you don't? I bet you. I bet you know this cover. Mm-hmm. This has. This is super popular. It has been around many many years. It still pops up on Bookstagram. It's over a hundred thousand ratings on Goodreads. And I'm telling ta- I'm sure you've seen the cover. This is World War II, but this is it's set in Russia. And so Ooh, okay. Okay, let me tell you what it's about, and then I'll tell you why I had avoided this book mm-hmm, for so long. Mm-hmm. During the Nazis' brutal siege of Leningrad, Lev Benwov is arrested for looting and thrown into the same cell as a handsome deserter named Koila. Instead of being executed, Lev and Koila are given a shot at saving their own lives by complying with an outrageous directive, secure a dozen eggs for a Soviet colonel or lose their lives in a city cut off from all supplies and suffering unbelievable deprivation. Lev and Koila embark on a hunt through dire lawlessness of Leningrad and behind enemy lines to find the impossible. I knew over the years, that's what this book was about. I had no desire to read a book about anyone going to look for eggs.
0: <laughs> I, I swear, okay. I like. I'm like listening to you, right? I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm I like, know. Did she say steal
1: eggs? Is that what she said? I yes. They have, to, and I knew they have to go get eggs like that. And I was like, all right. And and if you look at the cover, here's the thing: the cover looks like a cartoon I'm to me. In it. my okay. mind, mm-hmm. in my mind, I knew the cover turned me off. And the eggs turned me off. And the World War II, I thought, no. Okay. But this time, but now I thought, you know what? I am going to try City of Thieves. Because for all the reasons, I'm going to see what I think. This book was really interesting. The author writes for Game of Thrones. And that's also why this is so popular. This is out of his wheelhouse because he's one of the main writers for Game of Thrones. But I didn't know until I started this that, and the author's note was in the beginning, and I'm so glad. He wrote this after having a long conversation and recording stories from his grandfather. Mm. So not that necessarily, he, it's never like, not that Lev is actually his grandfather, but I'm I'm sure that there's parallels there. So, and also, I don't know anything about really the Russian side, like what was going on in Russia during World War II. I don't know. So, I I was, you know, intrigued. Anyway, this book reminds me to stop making such quick snap judgments about books based on snippets that I hear. Like, Mm. this book is about two people going to get eggs. Although it is about that, that is just a very small portion of the foundation of the story. The eggs are the driving part of the plot, if that... Okay, so I love the author's introduction, as I said. I really, really enjoyed these two boys. One was 20, one was 17, and I felt worried for them. So what the author does so well is set up. What is going on in Leningrad during this time? And it is, it's brutal. And that's also part of my hesitation in picking up World War II books because mm-hmm. the level of starvation and torture and murders and abuse is very heavy. Mm-hmm. And it and it's in this book. And I I was forced to sit with that for a lot of the story. Whereas If you start to think, and if I start to think, oh gosh, you know, I want to be entertained. And how can I be entertained by this type of story? Mm -hmm. But that is not what you go into this type of story to feel. But yet the author made made me also laugh at many times. There's a lot of dark humor. Mm. A lot of dark humor. We like that. And he's he did a really good job with that. You can tell he's a screenwriter. One of the really surprising, winning parts of this was all of the side characters we got to meet along the way. So it really was a story where everybody that they met played some sort of integral part in them trying to get these eggs. (laughs) At times, it felt like he ventured way off course, and then he brought it back. He always did bring it back. I it's, it's weird for me to say I enjoyed this, but I, I was just so invested in whether these boys were going to find these eggs. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was so invested. It was almost, I was not going to stop until I knew what happened and there's a very harrowing journey to get there and whether they did get there, I'm not obviously going to say. You have to read it to find out. But I very much enjoyed this story. And I really learned a lot about Leningrad and Russia. I love it. Who knew? And that was City of Thieves by David Benwoff.
0: Okay. First of all, I have not heard of this book. I looked okay. at the cover. You've I do never, not recognize you've it. never no. seen it. Okay. It is so far out of my comfort zone <laughs> that I have not even like registered seeing the cover. But uh, yes, I, you, it is. You did list a lot of things that I think I like. I like dark humor. I actually quite like people two people going on like a journey to get to mm-hmm. some sort of destination do they get there do they not and i love a good side character
1: oh yeah they they really do and i've really loved so many parts of the ending there is a bittersweet aspect to the ending of course in i mean it's my favorite and i i kept thinking i wonder how much of this is really exactly yep. true mm-hmm. because there is a part in the um, author's note when he's talking about his discussions with his grandfather and he said to him, but there's still things I need answers for. And his grandpa said, you're a writer. Just make them up. <laughs> so oh, I, I like so origin there, origin story. Yeah, you have there's a little bit of how much is truth mm-hmm. I am imagining in my mind, and I didn't go Google and do any other searches on this. I think a lot of it probably is true. Mm-hmm. And oh, man, it, it was, it was tough, but also I enjoyed it. I can't oh. believe it. And that's why I'm so happy we did this because yes. I would not have picked it up.
0: No, so. never. Oh, good. I'm so glad you got, you have that. Yes. All right. What is next for you? Finally for me, is a book that my dear friend Heather has been trying to get me to read for at least a year. It is The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turnton. All right. (laughs) I can't wait to hear about this. (laughs) Okay. The publisher calls this book a murder mystery novel inspired by Agatha Christie with a dash of Groundhog Day and a hint of Quantum Leap in Downton Abbey. Already... Already from that teaser, you can tell there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. in this book. I don't know Quantum Leap. I remember it vaguely from when I was younger. I have no connection to it, nor Groundhog Day, nor Downton Abbey. So I'm like, okay, here we are. It was for In Real Life Book Club. I will say, though, that is a a plug for having a book club is like, you know, sometimes they pick books you don't want to read and then Mm -hmm. you end up reading it. And it Mm -hmm. does expand your palette, your worldview a little bit. Very true. For this, it had a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of alternate lives, and a boatload of characters, which is what made it out of my comfort zone. The book opens up with a man. It has a great opening sentence. It's, I forget everything between footsteps. You're kind of dropped right in, and you have a man waking up in a body he is unfamiliar with. He is screaming the name, Anna, but he has no idea why. He is also lost in the woods and has injuries to his arms. He has no idea who he is, why he's there, and he doesn't know how to get out. Someone rushes toward him and tells him to go east, which leads him to the Blackheath Manor. We come to find out that this man is named Aidan Bishop. He gets informed of the rules of Blackheath. Evelyn Hardcastle will die every day until he can identify her killer and break the cycle. But every time the day begins again, Aiden wakes up in the body of a different guest at Blackheath Manor, and some of his hosts are more helpful than others. This is a locked room mystery that I found to be very atmospheric, and I have a lot of good to say and a lot that I didn't particularly connect with. The good. I felt like this was an incredibly original story. I personally haven't read anything like it. I liked the setting. It felt very English, very proper. And I like trying to figure out what was going on. It was tense. I appreciated that. I certainly didn't know what to expect or who to expect it from. But I will say I was interested and it kept me turning the pages. I will also say I think the author did a good job of tying everything in by the end. And I was not expecting that. I was like, there's no way this is going to make sense. (laughs) But he makes it make sense. What I didn't like was that it was so long. It felt I felt every one of its 500-plus pages, and I kept thinking, I wish it was the five deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle so there'd be fewer (laughs) characters for him to inhabit. I also wanted a bit more from the ending. So you find out everything that's going on. I loved what he introduced, but then it was only in the last maybe 20 or so pages where you're like, oh, ding, ding, ding. And I would have loved for him to tease that part out further I also did not like that in my copy of the book, I read it in an ebook. they have about five chapters of his next book. So while I was reading it, I kept thinking, okay, the ending is here. How is there still 22% left in this book? And it's because it included the reading guide at the end and it included five chapters from his next book. So that's not a criticism on the author. I was just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Maybe it felt long because I kept thinking, how am I only this far in? I listened to parts of this. And while it was well narrated, I do not recommend doing that. This one is much better in print and it's better to read it as close to as in one sitting as you can get. I will say if you're looking for an inventive mystery that'll keep you guessing, then go for it. I am not somebody that enjoys puzzles. I am not good at puzzles. (laughs) So I knew I had no chance at figuring out what was going on. But if you do like puzzles and have a high attention to detail, I think this could work, especially for, for those types of readers. I don't think I have anything else to say. Now, did I like it? Do I recommend it? I honestly don't know. I really <laughs> am. I'm read. I'm glad that I read it. I'm glad that I can check it off my list of books that are kind of in the periphery. I know it has a lot of fans, and I know a lot of people love it. And for them, I'm so glad. I don't know if I liked it. I'm kind of in the middle of the road. Mm. Passed the time, fine. It also felt super long, and I kept finding, oh my god, I wish I was reading something else. So, oh yeah, okay. not a not a resounding recommendation from me. Well, I think you answered your own question by that. Yeah, I think you're right. So this book's The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. Was it a bigger hit at book club? No. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> although I will say, uh, obviously, the person that brought it, like, I felt so bad. She was like, I'm sorry, you guys didn't love it. I said, no, no, no. We. I think it made for some good conversation, a really good thought piece. All five of us read it and finished it, which I think okay. says something. Right. One of the people that liked it the best. She said, okay, I have about 200 pages left. I'm going to knock it out all in one sitting. And she said that it was raining outside. So it was perfect for the atmosphere. And she read all those 200 pages in one sitting. And then she said she was very creeped out. She couldn't get back to sleep. Oh, okay. To me, I was like, oh, that sounds like a great experience. She's like, well, yes, but I would have liked to, you know, get some sleep. (laughs) But I think that says something, that it was able, mm-hmm. you know, some readers are able to kind of sit with it, really get sucked in. I think maybe if I had that experience, if I read it all in one go or two settings, maybe I would have liked it more. But I tried. Okay. Well, and now you know. And now and I know. P-
1: puzzles are not high puzzles on your Puzzles are not my life. No,
0: I knew that, though. <laughs> Did I turn you on to it? Do you think you're going to pick it up? I don't think so. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I I feel like, and I do think I have a copy of it, but no, I seven and a half different bodies. I don't think I want to stick with it that long either. Mm -hmm.
0: I will say, you just made me remember something that I appreciate. It is not the same story every time. It's not like, and then I woke up, and then this happened, and like it's told from different viewpoints. So that okay. I thought was really clever. I don't know how the hell he put this book together. Like, <laughs> kudos to the author. Like, I this is in no way a ding to his work. Yeah. I just was like, oh, no, not for this reader. It sounds really imaginative, and, and maybe a
1: little more complex than what I would want
0: <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> you know? I, I kind of like my ego is taking a bit of a bruise to say like it was too complicated to follow it feel it sounds complicated yeah. but anyway, so that's okay. there you have it, all right all right, what do you have next? This is the one I was yes. so
1: excited to tell you. what will you think if I tell you I saved my best for last, okay. and it's a middle grade book. who is she uh,
0: <laughs> who do, is she
1: i cannot believe I, re- I, okay. I'll tell you what it is. Frankie and Bug by Gail Foreman. I've never, heard it heard is of it. a new, it just came out October Aww. 12th. It is a debut middle grade novel. Gail Foreman wrote the YA book. If I stay, that was I yep. made into a movie. I was okay. like, I
0: know the name, but okay. Yes. I didn't know the book. Oh good. Okay.
1: Okay. I knew I had to I had to figure out a middle grade because, you know, I do not read middle grade. I don't want to read middle grade. Mm-mm. I don't seek it out. I I just don't. I, I think maybe when my son, you know, my sons were young and growing up, we may have read one together, but that is not my preferred genre. So this book is about It is a powerful coming-of-age story that follows a young girl and her new friend as they learn about family, friendship, allyship, and finding your way in a complicated world. Mm -hmm. It's the summer of 1987, and all 10-year-old Bug wants to do is go to the beach with her older brother and hang out with the locals on the boardwalk. This is in Santa Monica. But Danny wants to be with his own friends and Bug's mom is too busy. So Bug is stuck with her neighbor, Philip's nephew, Frankie. Bug's not excited about hanging out with Frankie, a kid she's never met who's from Ohio of all places. Oh no, not the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, um, but they soon find some common ground. And the common ground that they find is Frankie's f- super interested figuring out who the serial killer is that is is active in the Santa Monica area. Oh, no. You know. Heck, yeah. Initially, I was like, okay. So as the summer unfolds, they find themselves learning some important lessons about each other and the world. Okay. I heard about this book as a setup on Annie Jones' podcast from the front porch. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in her October... New releases. Um, and the she started with the serial killer tagline. And I'm listening to it and I'm hearing, I'm like, oh, you know, I hear that. And I'm like, okay. And then she got to the end and said, so this isn't this is a fun middle grade. And I was like, nope. Mm-mm. And then I remembered, uh, no, I this is what I'm gonna do for yeah. I'm going to read this book. And I ended up downloading the audio and I loved the audio. Let me tell you. I loved this book. I loved getting to know Bug. I loved the fact that, so their mother is a single mom and she's got Danny, who's I think like 14 or 15, and then Bug and their father was El Salvadoran and he is no longer with them. Mm -hmm. So they have kind of this little found family with Philip who lives in the building and then Frankie in the picture and there's other people throughout the story and they were superstars all the side characters Aww. but Philip oh my gosh I love him so much so what you have is is really this this coming of age story about how bug comes to terms with the fact that she can't always have everything she wants and how do you open your heart and eyes to people that as you're growing up, especially who are not like you and who are not quite what you thought they were. So I just, it's very, this is very hard to talk about. I I don't even want to talk about any of the plot because it's a short little book too. I don't Mm -hmm. want to give anything away. So here's what I'll say. I love the serial killer storyline and it's not, they didn't make, it's not a made up serial killer storyline. It's not that these these Mm -hmm. kids think there's a serial killer. There is a serial Mm -hmm. killer and, and people keep dying and all of that. So there are a ton of 1980s Easter eggs. I wish I could share them with you, but when I tell you that I was listening and I just had this huge smile on my face. I wanted, I want to just give one away without giving too many details. Okay. But their mother would always be re-watching as the world turns. <laughs> and this very specific storyline. So um, oh my god. I was like, that's what I was doing yeah. in the 80s. Aww. And all the TV shows, there are TV shows mentioned. There is nostalgia overload as far as food. There is roller skating and beach outings and the fact that gossip magazines were touting the news. There's no cell phones, which I loved. This was a time when kids went out, which we used to do growing up, Mm -hmm. and just went and played and went for hours and hours and hours. And nobody had a cell phone to say, where are you? I know. You know? I know that I could tell by your face. That sounds scary.
0: <laughs> and, well, I, I was just thinking, my God, you know where I was? I was like playing in the rocks, pretending I was an archaeologist, walking around the train tracks like what uh-huh. the, like I was just right. making that face because I'm like, oh, gosh, what? If, I don't want Lily just running around the neighborhood. I want to know where she is.
1: <laughs> right. But this this really highlighted that time oh, uh, yeah. of life. And
0: that sounds perfect. So
1: also. um, Oh, the fact that the puzzle of the serial killer was part of the storyline, mm-hmm. I it was great. I, I I loved it. This is my favorite book. It might be one of my favorite books I have read in October. I, I thought, mean, who would know?
0: I wouldn't have guessed, but that's so exciting. You clapped your hands. You just clapped your hands. No, I went point.
1: like that. No, I no, was getting my went, sweater. You went like this? Oh, did I? <laughs> yes. No, I loved so, it. It was charming, yes. I love all the 80s. I love I just love the the setting and the 80s nostalgia Mm -hmm. and she just nailed that and I'm really really hoping that there might be like this might be the start of something Mm -hmm. if if so I'm gonna continue reading this middle grade uh story love it Love. I know it's Frankie and Bug by Gail Forman
0: Oh, yeah. And I feel like this book sounds like it was engineered so like in a smart way because it's middle grades for those readers. But then also if parents want to read along with it, they can kind of get some nostalgia, too. Right.
1: Because I would think know your child because of the serial killer storyline, although Mm -hmm. it's not graphic, but they do watch the news and they do. These kids do understand what's happening. Right. mm -hmm. Yeah. What what it means to have a serial killer on the loose, but I will say too, um, Oh, I have to, I have to add this in because I completely forgot. What so, Like another really, really central part of this story are the, in the themes that, sh- that are explored and the way she does it, AIDS, LGBTQ, immigration, single parenting, found family, everything is included in this story and never ever once was it preachy oh god it was really a genius way to tell a really important story that i think any anybody could read and think about and like i said know your child but this would be a great a great book to have as something to read with your middle grader mm. but i also super enjoyed getting to know these characters and thinking about their experiences from these other different perspectives that she was able to explore. So I have to get that in there.
0: Yeah. You might've convinced me, honestly, it sounds wonderful.
1: It really is. I mean, biggest surprise. This might be my biggest reading surprise of the year. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I believe Uh, that. Okay. All right. All right, we did it. Shelf editions. Shelf editions time. And I am going to go back to my wheelhouse and give you a thriller. So am I, Tina. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Mine is a thriller that comes out in January on the 18th of 2022, and it's called Real Easy by Marie Rutkowski. It's said to be a compulsive, tenacious, and an unexpectedly hopeful thriller set in a Midwestern strip club. And what jumped out to me, yes, was the strip club setting, but then it's in the spirit of Gillian Flynn and Tana French. Oh, yes. Uh Uh-huh. And now it's set in 1999, and Samantha is a dancer. She has danced for years at the Lovely Lady Strip Club. She is not used to taking anyone under her wing. She's got this boyfriend at home and his daughter, who may as well be her own child, so she has enough to worry about. But then Samantha overrides her own rules and decides to drive a new dancer home. On the way there, they run off the road The police arrive at the scene of the accident, but they only find one body. So Georgia, another dancer, is drawn into the investigation because she tries to help out Holly. She's a Harvard-educated detective with her own backstory. And the point of view shifts from the dancers to the detectives to the folks that Patron the Strip Club and to some children as well. They're trying to figure out what's going on, and they're also grappling with the fact that they just lost this coworker. And the author drew on some personal experiences she had, as well as interviews with the police, which I always really like. Oh, yeah. And I also really agree with, I think strip clubs have a stigma. They're disregarded. Women, if they do sex work or if they work at a strip club, it's like, oh, they got what they asked for if they you know, have mm-hmm. something bad happen to them, which is not true. So I like that the author really kind of tries to upend this cliché. It's supposed to be gripping, deeply feminist, and character-driven. And it basically gets to the question, how do women live out their lives knowing that men can hurt them? So this thriller is called Real Easy by Marie Rutkowski.
1: Wow, I have not even heard of that. How did I miss a book with Midwestern Strip Club in the description.
0: <laughs> Are you a big frequenter of the strip clubs? Well no, but that that
1: would like catch jumps my out eye. Yeah. Oh, it would totally mm-hmm. catch my eye. And mm-hmm. and the fact that it's a thriller, it, I would have yeah. So thank you. I um I need to figure out where I'm going to put that in my January. You said January, right?
0: January, yep. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, good. All right. What do you got? I have 1979 by Val McDermott. And it is out now. Okay. And she is uh, she is an author who is hailed as Britain's queen of crime. And this is the first in a new series by her. It's the story of Allie Burns, an investigative journalist whose stories lead her into worlds of corruption, terror, and murder. It's January. The year is 1979. And already... There are blizzards, strikes, power cuts, and political unrest. For journalist Allie Burns, however, someone else's bad news is the unmistakable sound of opportunity knocking, an opportunity to get away from the women's stories her editors at the Scottish Daily, The Clarion, keep assigning her. Striking up an alliance with budding investigative journalist Danny Sullivan, Allie begins covering international tax fraud then a group of Scottish ultra-nationalists aiming to cause mayhem ahead of a referendum on breaking away from the United Kingdom. Their stories quickly get attention and create enemies for the two young up-and-comers. As they get closer to the bleeding edge of breaking news, Allie and Danny may find their lives on the line. As I said, this is the first novel in a brand new series. I am all for that. Mm -hmm. And... It is because it's 1979. It's redolent of the thundering presses, hammering typewriters, and wreaths of smoke of the Clarion newsroom. I can totally picture that. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's got your no cell phones that you like. I know, I know. I love,
1: I love the old school sort of feel that this sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to have to use a typewriter to type out their stories or whatever. I don't know. So. That was 1979 by Val Mm McDermott.
0: Sounds good. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us out by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcasts out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you're interested in supporting the podcast for $5 a month, you can join us on Patreon. You'll get access to exclusive mini such as DNF Talk and Deep Dives, Zoom get-togethers, a weekly newsletter, and an invite to our patron-only Facebook group. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketcetera
1: at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TVR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk, Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember... Everything's better with books!
0: um this will be the first John says that you do we I am? do this mm-hmm. you go feedback and questions <laughs> <laughs> i'm parched i know that <laughs> no I know we both do it, it